Tonight, we're going to talk about intercession. He adds to the books. Yeah, thank you. I got all my, all my material lost here for some reason. I don't know what happened. But uh, this is something that uh, most of us don't really understand. <laughs> I don't think. I, I have seen, I've been in a lot of Christian churches, and no one really understands what intercession is all about. I'm not sure I know. Some of you know more than I do about it. <laughs> but we have two books that I want to uh, I, I want to plug because we're going to go right over these. Reese Howe's Intercessor, this one right here. How many of y'all have read this book right here? Okay, because we had it uh, oh, a couple of years ago. And then there's one called Happy Intercessor by Benny Johnson. How many of you have read this one? One, two, three, three people? Thank you. Yeah, it is. It's a, they're, that's, they're both awesome books. I really, I really think they are. So today we're going to talk about what's in those two books from people who are intercessors. And also, I have asked Lisa to come up because Lisa talked to me about how she prays, and, and I said, wow. <laughs> so, and I think you'll be wild too. And uh, what, uh, what we want to know today is not, not that we're experts on, the, on intercession, but we want to uh, stress the importance of it and, and, what, uh, and how it's important in, in our lives. I have a, a little laser. Let's go to that first slide. And we'll go by, and if you, got a, if you don't have a handout, raise your hand. Anybody not got one of these? There's one there. John, Don John doesn't have that one. Let's see if this thing works. All right. This is a star pointer. Points out stars at night. <laughs> Intercessor, a person who intervenes on behalf of another, especially by prayer. That's pretty much the standard uh, Webster's Dictionary on intercession, uh, that's the way you that's the way you describe it. Go ahead, one more, Greg. Okay, have you ever felt guilty about not praying enough? How many of you guys have felt guilty by not praying enough? I have. <laughs> it doesn't. Don't you think that it's just required as a Christian? We ought to pray. There's plenty of scriptures, and we'll talk about some of the scriptures here. But there's plenty of scriptures that. Uh, that say to pray. Jesus said he prayed for us. Why do we pray? That says here, doesn't God know what we're going to do anyway? How many, of you, how many of you have felt that way? Why I pray to God? Because I know he's going to do something. I know he's going to do what he wants to anyway. Is anybody like that? Nobody will admit it. <laughs> I've done that. And I'm saying, gee whiz, why do I have to pray for that, God? You're going to fix it, and you're going to do what he wants. <laughs> so a lot of times we don't know what we're doing, really. And, uh, and then praying is always a good thing. All right, Proverbs 1, 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And that seems to say, no matter what you do, God's going to do what he wants, Right? Is that what it says? I don't think so. I don't think, the rest of the Bible doesn't, doesn't agree with, with that interpretation of, of uh, the intercessor. Go ahead, Greg. Next slide. Okay, 1 Timothy 2.1 says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. This is uh, pretty much uh, 
first, this is what the, the, best, the most strongest thing I could find in the Bible on intercession. Next slide. Let's talk about intercessors, why it's so important. Let's examine two intercessors to see what impact they had on the lives of others. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at two, two awesome intercessors. They wrote a book on intercession. And we're going to look at this one first, Benny Johnson. And, and, but first of all, I want Lisa to come up. Lisa's going to tell us what she does. So when Pastor Terry said that he was wowed by my prayer life, I was thinking, now what did I tell him that I did? <laughs> I might need to know. But what I found is I just, I, I don't have any written notes for tonight, but I listened to what I shared two years ago when Pastor Terry asked me to share about my prayer life. And what I can see is that there were se- there have been seasons for different things. And I shared a couple years ago that I learned to be an intercessor when Greg was four years old and diagnosed with a serious illness at Duke Children's Hospital. And we drove up there every four weeks and, um, you know, blood work and medications. And it was a really scary time. And that is when I learned how to pray. And I remember I started by going to a pre-service prayer room, you know, meeting. And I didn't know how to pray, so I just listened. And I listen to everyone else pray. And that is how I learned how to pray. So I believe intercession is taught, not always directly taught. It's something you catch by hanging around with other intercessors. So I spent many years warring for my son in intercession and in worship. And that's where I learned how to spin in circles. If you've ever seen me break out and spin in circles, that's when I learned how to spin in circles and worship and intercede over my son. And then there, were, there was a very long season where I ran with Debbie Davis, and she led inter, um, prophetic intercession, and that's what I did. And that's basically where beforehand, before your prayer meeting, you would hear from the Lord, this is your subject. And then that's what we would pray about for an hour and a half. And I've never been the best, like, list intercessor. There are different types of intercessors, prophetic intercessors, governmental intercessors, different types, and I was never the good list one. You know, I've got a list, but I was never very good at um, praying over that list. And where I am now in this season of my life, it's, it's almost intercession born out of friendship with the Lord. Pretty much the first thing I do when I wake up is pray. You know, I come to a little bit, might snuggle with the puppy, but then I have about 10 or 15 minutes where I just lay in the bed and pray, and that's where I bring the needs of people in the body before the Lord or people that have asked me to pray for them. And one thing that I've really found that I enjoy because I've never been a good one for um, soaking because once I get still, I'll like fall asleep and drift away. And I'm not the best at just sitting on my couch and praying because my mind wanders. But boy, you give me my tennis shoes and some worship music in my ears and I love to prayer walk. And so I love to prayer walk around my neighborhood or at the park. And usually what I do is a lot of times it's praying, you know, things for me and my family. But then there's always a shift where I say, okay, God, show me who else to pray for right now. Who do I stand in the gap for right now? And then right now, another thing, another way God is using me is is if you've known me any length of time, you know I'm very transparent. Right, Miss Parfina? I'm I'm transparent. And so I share my weaknesses. And so there are women that will email me or call me or text me or Facebook message me, and they'll say, my marriage is falling apart. Can you pray for me? 
or they'll say, I feel like God has abandoned me and I'm ready to walk away from my faith. Can you pray for me? And sometimes I'm the first person they've ever told these things to because they know that I'm not perfect, so they feel safe sharing this for me, with me. So right now, a lot of my ministry and intercession is praying for these women that are contacting me, and I think the most important part is following up with them, not just saying, I'll pray for you, but then a week later, going back and say, saying, you know, how's your marriage? And how are things with God? And so just following up with them so they know I've prayed for them, I care about them. And then a lot of times, really what I do best at is when somebody asks me to pray, I'm like, let's pray right now. <laughs> so lately God's had me praying with different people um, in the community and, um, you know, people that do my hair and different things. I'm, I'm praying with people. So when God prompts my heart, I know I better pray now and be obedient. So that's kind of just the journey of intercession for me from from a, a warfare intercessor to more of a prophetic intercessor to now it's just it's friendship with God and just walking with him and not feeling as guilty if I forget to pray for someone because I'm letting Holy Spirit lead me throughout the day. And it's just an ongoing dialogue between the Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, and me. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Okay, what we're going to do uh, is find out how you guys do it. How many of you pray because you feel like you and God, God wants to hear from you, he likes to spend time with you? Anybody? Okay, good. That's a step above. Uh, most, most of us start out not having that, that knowledge that God is uh, wanting me to do that. We don't, all right, do you always steal something when you intercede? All right, yeah. I, I just like to share uh, something that happened to me last week. I'm not, I don't really consider myself a big intercessor. I like to pray. Uh, it's always been one of those things that's hard for me. I'm kind of the one that does those quick ones. But the more that I've been involved in ministry, I realize you need to pray in the things that you're doing. But I really felt like last week is the first time I really interceded because I was having an issue with my back, and it was keeping me up at night. I'd get up about 2 in the morning, and I, the doctor had given me some pain pills, and I'd have about three hours of relief, and I, I started, you know, I'd be walking because I couldn't lay down. And I started praying, the Lord had just me weeping. And I, it wasn't me. It was like I had his heart for the city, and he had me weeping over the lost. And um, I, it, like I said, it wasn't me because I wasn't thinking about it. And it, it went on a long time. And I'm like, wow, this is what intercession is all about. I felt like God was showing me his heart for other people. And, um, and, I, and after that, I felt like, you know, yes, what is prayer? I, I believe that God wants to hear our heart. He wants to know what's going on in our heart and wants us to know his. So uh, thank you. Okay, does anybody else have an intercession talk? I write down what, I, uh, what I'm going to be praying for. Like, I'll find different prayers. Um, you know, I might find the Shema, the Hebrew Shema, or the, um, the Rosary, Our Father, and write them down in uh, a little, on a little notebook, uh, or write them in a, a file on my computer, because I work on the computer a lot. And then when I have um, specific prayer requests, I'll write that in between the prayers that I've got, and I'll just read through that. You know, when I when I have time, so uh, if I'm waiting for a call or a problem that we have at work, I might 
you know, be reading through that, and then I'll go off and work some, and then once I get everything finished, I'll come back and read some more. You just wow. read through that file every day. So you see how different we are? We really are. We're all different. She's uh, next. I, I'll let you do it. Next. Um, okay. A couple of churches ago, I, and, I, and there, are, there are a few of those here too that, that do the same type of prayer, but I was in a prayer intercessory group in another church that where there were a whole lot of the people that I have come to refer to as the battering rams. They pray loud. They slam into it the same prayer again and again and again, and the gate breaks open and things happen, and it's loud and it's boisterous, and but stuff goes on. And I was the quieter one and just kind of couldn't get a word in edgewise, actually, because one would go straight into the next one, and there wasn't any, any airspace. And I was asking God, what in the world is going on? Why, what, why can't I do this? And, and then he, he showed me a picture of a city down in the valley, and I was up on the hillside with my bow and arrow. I was among the archers. And there comes the battering ram brigade from over here toward the city gate. And from both sides of that, of that valley, we archers were raining arrows down in preparation for that battle that the battering rams were going to take into the front gate of that city. So, so us quiet ones that just kind of throw a little prayer here, a little prayer there, the ones, the drive-bys, drive by an ambulance and pray, um, drive by a house that has sadness all over it and pray for whatever that thing is. We're archers. Take heart. Thank you. Doug, Doug has, is next. Yeah, uh, three years ago, the Lord put it on my heart. Well, actually, longer than that. But uh, three years ago, I recommitted my life back to God. But he put it on my heart again to start praying for people. And uh, I don't know if y'all know, but I carry a prayer book everywhere I go. Uh, this is actually the fourth book in the three-year period. Um, and I go up and I ask people if they need prayer for something. Um, at night, uh, when I get down on my knees beside my bed, I, I call out these prayers. And uh, I lift them up uh, as I have, after I do that, uh, I pray in the spirit. Um, I intercede for people that, uh, that God has brought into my pathway. Uh, and I praise God for that. Uh, my community, I walk around my community and I pray in the spirit. And I pray for the community. I pray for salvation. I pray for protection, for um, um, domestic disputes. Uh, whatever's going on, you know, um, I, have a, I have a heart for people. And uh, I mean, uh, the Lord, he has, he has saved me from the pit of hell that I, that I was wallowing in. And uh, I, don't, I don't want to see nobody go there, you know. But, you know, I praise God. And prayer to me is communication. Uh, I mean, when uh, God came into the Garden of Eden, yeah. you know, he was talking to uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, they, were, that, they were praying there, you know. Um, they were having that conversation. The more that uh, that I get plugged into the Word, the more I can hear God speaking to me. Uh, I can I'll be walking down the road, and uh, I carry tracks with me, 
And uh, I walk by somebody, and Lord, he'll talk to me, turn around, go back and talk to them, you know. And I praise God for that. Um, amen. Each of us seems to have, that's, that, that's enough of, uh, let's go and see what Benny Johnson, let's go next slide. Benny Johnson, she was a, a you know, y'all who know, know who Benny Johnson is? She wrote this book, Happy Intercessor. Well, no, it, the slides itself will tell you what. The, she she uh, put it on the shelf. She had a prophecy that was spoken over her since she was desired to be, an, that she was the, destined to be an intercessor, not for this season, but for the season coming. Now, when you get prophecies like that, what do you do with them? What does she mean by she put it on the shelf? Does, does it happen real quick? Can be, it can be years. It could be 10, 15 years in the future. I know people that have had prophecies that they were going to do things, and they've, it's been over 15 years. But God always does what he says he's going to do. She did not want to be an intercessor. Now, she was in a, I've been in, uh, I have never been in a church except this one where people pray for you right there. When I was in a church, every church I've ever been in, you say, I'm going to pray for you. They don't expect you to start praying for them right there. Has anybody got that kind of experience? <laughs> I've had that. I mean, I've, I've been in Methodist churches. I've been in Nazarene churches. I've been in Baptist churches. I've been in Episcopalian and none of them. I've ever been in will pray for you right then and there. And I think even a Christian, that'll be a surprise. Golly, look what he did. He's prayed for me. Next slide. She grew up in a church where intercessors were not happy people. From her perspective, all who were intercessors were people who seemed to be carrying heavy burdens. She doesn't ever remember seeing them, any of doesn't remember ever seeing them, any of them, smiling. Have y has anybody else got that same experience? Yeah, I've been in churches. Intercessors are real serious. They think of everything's happening. That's why, that's why, Jim, that's why she wrote this book, The Happy Intercessor. <laughs> we'll go on and, and, and tell you how, what happened to her. Go ahead, next slide. She began to feel and hear. Now, don't think that everybody feels this way. We don't feel and hear what other people are saying. It just doesn't happen. But some people have the gift of discernment. Minnie Johnson had that gift. She didn't even know what it was. She didn't know she had it. But she'd walk in a room. Have you ever heard of some? I've heard people say this. Pastor Tom's one of them. When you go into a room, oh, man, it feels dark in that room. You ever heard people say that? Some people can't feel that. That's a gift. That comes from God. I, I really believe that comes from God, and it's not something that everybody has. So somebody that has that feeling is, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I don't feel anything. <laughs> I, I don't have that gift of discernment. I walk in a, a den, of, den of Satan and not feel anything. It's really a terrible thing, but uh, that's not my gift. And, uh, but some of you walk, and they'll turn right around and go back out. I don't want to go in there. Isn't that true? It's, I mean, sometimes, I mean, and there's different degrees of, uh, of, of what he gives you. Go ahead, next slide. She heard others say she was shy, 
So she became shy. Being shy became a stronghold, and she became fearful to say anything because it might be wrong. Now, some of you are like that. Some of you are afraid to say something because it might be wrong. Fortunately, there's some people like me that say it, then it is wrong. <laughs> there's a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. Can y'all hear that in the back? All right. She said some people, go ahead and say that again. <laughs> some people. I said some people like this can put their identity upon you, and if you accept it, you can have it as a stronghold. I've had it happen to me before. But when you know your identity in Christ, you do not have to accept somebody else's opinion or identity. That's especially with children can receive an identity, the wrong identity from an adult or somebody who puts it on them. Thank you. That's true because that's what happened to her. Yeah, Parthena. I'll put this right out here, and it's, it, it might be different. Or I don't know how you'll feel about it, but there are cultural differences, praise God. And so, therefore, within my culture, we pray a, a different way, which is open. Um, it could be demonstrative. It could, it, it could be, and it is quite different than how I hear you all pray. But it's all good because, again, a word fitly spoken is like an apple of gold and a pitcher of silver. So God hears and does answer prayer. I like how sometimes you say, all right, let's all stand. I'm thinking, if you really want this prayer to get through, I need to sit down and work with this. <laughs> but, but again, um, um, like Mother Marion was just saying about that um, identity. But when we have the freedom and the love of Jesus Christ, he gives us the opportunity to go forth and do what is necessary. And he does uh, break down those strongholds. So I think that it's all good. In fact, you know, like you were talking, um, um, how I like about the culture here is that you put words um, you put words to so many things. When I say to so many things, I like to hear your explanation of things. Within my culture, we kind of just accept it and it's done. So again, it's uh, there is a difference in that as well. Yeah, there is the cultural differences. The way that, don't get the idea that the way we do it is perfect. This is a good advice because there are other churches that don't do things the way we do. But let's don't, uh, let's don't look down our noses at them. We're better than they are because we do this, that, the other. That, I've seen some of that. I, I've seen that in my life. And when you, see, when you hang around a couple of years, <laughs> I've got a couple of years on my belt. You hear everything. Go ahead, Greg, one more. Next slide. She married Bill Johnson. There they are. <laughs> That's what they look like. Uh, she became a preacher's wife. Isn't that something? Now, preacher's wives, we don't have one here. They have a special life. <laughs> 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I remember one, one night when I was a kid, my dad's a preacher. Somebody at 12 o'clock midnight came to our house, and they were going to get married. Don't ask me why, but I didn't know then. <laughs> I know now, but I didn't know then. 
But uh, preacher's wives have to, it's a lot of stress. Preacher's wife shouldn't do that. You ever heard that? Because she's an example, right? Not that she's a person just like you that walks on two feet. <laughs> she's supposed to be a little a cut above. But don't put that kind of pressure on people. I really don't think that's good for preacher's wives. I know that uh, <laughs> a lot of people, my mother was a preacher's wife for 60 years, I think. And she didn't like it. I'm just being honest with you. She did not like being a preacher's wife. She did not like knowing everything about everybody. And everybody that she thought was without fault had faults. <laughs> and she found out the hard way. <laughs> so that's something that uh, my mother did not like. Next slide. Benny Johnson, this is, this, some of you may be here. She had a prayer life. But it was with, but it was just a prayer life, a simple prayer life. She didn't. She did most of her praying while she was washing the dishes. She prayed for the kids and the family and the church. And this is after she got married. She prayed because she thought she ought to. She didn't have a prayer life out of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So if you see yourself in here, I was. Uh, you have to be intentional. Today, I went to the food bank to get food for the thing we have tomorrow, the food, food uh, bank tomorrow. So I go to the main food bank, get food, and we uh, dish it out uh, tomorrow. And the guy that I got, I've gotten to know him by name, he told me he is getting a divorce. And I said, what's going on? And he told me. And uh, so I just, I prayed for him right there. That's nothing I would have never done that before. I prayed that his wife and he would see that staying together is usually the best. best. He said, he told me it's over. I, ain't, I'm not gonna, I said, you're not going to date anybody else. He said, I got another date Wednesday, next Wednesday. <laughs> so so he's, he's running out there too fast, I think. So I prayed for him verbally right there. And also, I've prayed for him since then as I'm going home. So sometimes when we think a thought during the day, just pray about it. If you think about somebody, uh, just pray about it. And uh, say, Lord, you be with them. Now, what, what I don't want you to think is that your prayers are twisting God's arm. Right? You know what I'm talking about? There are people who pray for things and have great faith that they're going to happen, and they don't happen. So we're going to talk. We're going to talk about some of that in just a second. It's it's not that prayer is no good. It's just God. Remember what Jesus said: the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will would be done. That's a that's an important important thing to remember. Not always your will. Next slide. She felt like it was an obligation not to help her in her life and the life of her loved ones not a help. She didn't feel like it was doing any good. She just did it because she was supposed to. Now, some of y'all have that kind of intercessory life, that kind of prayer life. Next slide. In 1992, a renewal came to her church. The Holy Spirit told her, told her, I want you to carry joy and intercession. And this is something that influenced her, her title, the happy intercessor. How many of you have seen happy intercessors? 
okay? You don't have to carry, you're not carrying the burden. Who is? It's God's, right? So you leave it on God's back. If you've got a child that's not doing what they're supposed to do, you can't fix them. Let me tell you, you can't fix them. But God can. He can give them a dream. He can show up in person. Sometimes, I mean, I, I remember uh, reading about a guy who was, who was a Muslim, and he was in prison, and he said he was fasting for 21 days, didn't eat a thing for 21 days. And he prayed to Mohammed, and nothing happened. So he, he cursed Mohammed and says, I don't want to pray to you anymore like that. And when you do that in the Muslim faith, you lose all, you go, you go to hell. That's pretty much what happens. So he bows his head, knowing that that was it. He'd, he'd, he'd committed the unpardonable sin. He bowed his head, and he saw two feet right in front of him. He was in a cell. He looked up, and there was Jesus. <laughs> he knew who he was. Now, isn't that something? So Jesus appeared to him. Now, in Muslim countries, that's not uncommon anymore. A lot of Muslims are getting visual seeing of the Lord. They're saying, whoops, I messed up there. I think I was worshiping the wrong guy. <laughs> that's what God does sometimes. He puts it on people's hearts. So the renewal came. I want, and, and the Holy Spirit told her, I want you to carry joy and intercession. Next slide. Let me show you what happened to her. This is a long, she went to Toronto, and she had three religious experiences. Now, I've, I'm kind of envious of Benny Johnson for what the experiences she, we noticed a man staggering around. He was laying hands on people. Has anybody here ever seen that? Somebody staggering in church, laying hands on people? I have, I've seen it. Uh, they call one guy the speed bump because every time he prayed for somebody, they fell down and you tripped over. <laughs> so, so his nickname was Speed Bump. Uh, Roland, Mo, Roland uh, Baker, Heidi's husband, if he were in this, in this city, in this church, he would pray for all of you. He'd walk up to you while church was going on and pray for you. He does it when people stand on the, uh, up, up, up here. So he was, he was laying hands on people, and as he did, they fell to the ground. She looked over him and, and made eye contact with him and headed her way. So Bill Johnson was holding on to her. <laughs> she looked, <laughs> Bill, she was holding, uh, she uh, had her arm in Bill's, but when the man gave or got over to her, he reached out with one finger and touched her arm. She immediately fell to the ground and stayed shaking violently. For 20 minutes or so, she took, she shook hard. And at one point, the woman came over to me and, and asked if I was in good shape. So she said, I am. I'm in good shape. Touched again. <laughs> she went off again. <laughs> it finally stopped. So she was confused by this. Remember, she was one that prayed when she was washing dishes, uh, didn't have a real intercessory prayer life, uh, and she was the preacher's wife at this time. So this, this was happening to her. All right, next slide. Okay, the next day, she went to the morning session. I guess uh, Benny, the, the, the uh, airport church in uh, Toronto had a convention. or con So she went there the next day, and as the speaker began speaking something about the Father's love, 
she felt the presence of God and began to cry. She asked God what had gone the night before, what had gone on. What was that all about? She heard these words, I was shaking you out, shaking out your strongholds of your life and birthing who you are. Off she went again. From that day on, the fear that guided her left her. Stronghold had been broken. She became a different person through an unusual encounter with God. Has anybody ever had that kind of encounter? You've had one like that? Can we get the bike back there, Jan? Tell us, tell us about it and just what happened to you. Everybody doesn't get this, so don't won't wait around for this experience. It's interesting. It actually happened to me about that same period of time. Some people from our church had been going up to Toronto during that outpouring and also to Brownsville, and they were coming back, and we were seeing the Spirit of the Lord move powerfully in the altar calls at church. And I experienced the same kind of a thing. I don't remember if people had laid hands on me or if it was just the power of the Lord in the altar. But I did experience a shaking. Sometimes it would just come on my one arm or the other arm. And I did the same thing she did because some people were shaking and some people weren't. And the people who weren't shaking were staring at the people who were. <laughs> and everybody was trying to figure it out. And I did the same thing she did. I said, God, you know, what was going on? And basically, he told me a similar type of thing. It was the strongholds in my life that I didn't even know were there that was being shaken off. And eventually, it was just a season. Eventually, it stopped, and I began to realize that he had put things in me that I never knew were there. And it was just an experience to help me to realize all the old things had to go, and the new person was coming forth, I guess. Oh, good. You all know about Heidi Baker, right? She's a missionary to Mozambique. She was laying on her back for two or seven days. Going to a church every day, her husband would pick her up and lay her on the altar every day. Seven days, she was staggering, unconscious, and she said she was hurting. <laughs> she said it hurt. <laughs> a lot of things hurt when she did that. So those are extreme. Has anybody else had, had something like that that they want to talk about? Yeah, Doug? Yeah, Y'all remember when uh, we had the, uh, the uh, people come? Um, uh, the team that came out. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. And uh, I stayed over, and I wanted, I needed prayer. And uh, when the uh, the main man, when he prayed over me, I shook uh, uncontrollably, um, and uh, it it you know um, when I came to this church, you know um, the Holy Spirit when it when He touches you, you know I'm a big guy. I don't want to fall to the ground, you know, so. Um, when he was praying over me, I just leaned over, you know, and I was wanting to fall, but I didn't want to get hurt because this is a hard floor here. <laughs> so, I mean, I just shook uncontrollably. It it uh, it astonished me, you know, but I felt the Holy Spirit coming upon me, you know, and the things that, uh, that I was holding on to, he took those things away from me, you know. He's, he's prepared me each and every day. And I praise God for that. Thank you. Okay, she, Benny Johnson has another. Next slide. 
she was, this is the next day, right after that experience in Toronto, she had another life-changing event. She was at a woman's retreat in Mount Shasta. If you've ever seen Mount Shasta, California, it's beautiful. It's a mountain, just a gorgeous snow-capped, it's beautiful. She was at this uh, time, she was at this uh, Mount Shasta, and she remembers sitting in the back, minding her own business, and the Holy Spirit showed up and she began to cry. The kind of crying that comes down from deep down inside, the friend came over to her and asked if she was all right. All she knew was that this was God and something was happening to her and that it was very deep. She couldn't stop crying. She began to feel that something was pulled out of her and that something was being activated in her life. So this is another, another she's had three religious experiences, uh, not religious experiences, Holy Spirit-filled uh, experiences that changed her from one person to the other. Uh, next slide. In her prayer life, at this point, the reality began to change. At that, that, at that moment, she actually felt like a new person, like her personality had gone through a change and boldness, boldness had, had come over her, and she found out that for the next several months, she, all she could do was cry. Has anybody ever had that experience? You've had that? Jen, just, just go ahead and let him talk about it. I wasn't, wasn't crying for weeks or months, but I remember uh, one night I woke up uh, during the night and I was praying and singing. Um, it, when I was younger, it was like after a service that we had had at our church, and um, I kept praying and singing in the spirit and in tongues. And uh, I remember my, my brother and my mom asking me why I was why I kept them awake all night, and I, I didn't really remember it too much, but I knew mm -hmm. the spirit had kind of taken taken uh, control of my emotions, and um, uh, had some kind of there was something inside of me that was changing. Yeah, sometimes people get healed like that, and. Uh, things that were wrong with them get fixed <laughs> so if you've never had that kind of experience be like me be religiously jealous <laughs> i'd love for god to knock me down <laughs> i've fallen before i've been prayed for and i've, I've probably been to uh, 100 conferences with bill johnson with uh, randy clark with all those people that, that are in our denomination and uh, not once did I get knocked down. <laughs> Have you ever had somebody push you down? <laughs> I've had people try to push me down, but I've never fallen down. Okay, next slide. It was a, it was a sad cry. It wasn't a sad cry that came from me. I had a new love that she had found. Every time she would think, thank God or think, think of God, his goodness, someone talked to her. It says God was doing or even mentioning the name of Jesus. She would begin to cry. She was falling in love with the Holy Spirit. Now, it wasn't her intention. I want you to get this. It wasn't her intention. All this happened. It's, now, it seems to me, now, we're going to Israel in, in November. Mel Tari is going, to be, is going to be there. I have read about his revival. He actually walked on water, made water into wine, and uh, all kinds of miracles happened while he was in revival. And uh, he's going to go to Israel with us. And uh, can't wait to sit with him. 
because I've read his book, <laughs> and I know how, <laughs> but see, that happened at a time when God was doing things, like in Toronto. Does that mean God's not doing things here? Season. One thing you've got to realize is there are seasons when the Spirit is awesome, and He knocks people down. I mean, you can't stand up when, when the Holy Spirit knocks you down. I don't care who you are. It's just, you know, it, you do it. <laughs> I've, I've, seen, I've seen big, small, medium, they fall down. So now what's falling down do? Have you ever heard Benny Hinn? He, he'll go like that, and the whole, the whole half, of, half of the place will fall down. And people ask him, why, why do they fall down? He says, I don't know. Yeah. I just going to share real quick. My mom one time says, well, why would God want anyone to fall down? And I said, I don't know, Mom, but I know that's when God started to hear my heart. So that was the only <laughs> thing I could, I could say. I was at a conference with Benny Hinn, and he was talking, and he said, now, the Holy Spirit is ready. It was in a, in a theater house. We had the balcony, up in the balcony, and the whole theater was filled. But he says, you people, especially in the balcony, better sit in your seat because the Holy Spirit is coming and it's going to start and he did. It just went like a like a, like a, like wave. a shuffle all the way down and then all the way back up. And everybody was But it was like he, he told us to get ready because he's going to be here and he could feel the Holy Spirit moving and it was awesome. Now, I think that some of us have a gift of faith. We believe no matter how it feels. I'd rather feel, <laughs> but I believe that God has given me a gift of faith. And, and in that, he tells me, whatever you do, whatever you say in prayer, I'm listening all the time. And I know that. I know that to be true. So when I sit and talk to God or pray, intercede or whatever, he, I know he can hear me. I don't feel tingly or hot. Is anybody like that? Just, just have faith. That's how you please God anyway, is have faith. I know he's here. I know he can hear me. So I go, I'll go and pray for that person even though I don't feel a thing. And I think that's what happens, yeah. I have been healed personally probably 10 times just from being in worship Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And just, I mean, healings that, like my foot would be just completely not even being able to bend it. And all of a sudden, it, you know, and then at any point it would ever try to come back, you know, I would just say, Lord, you healed it. And it would immediately go away. Like the, <laughs> the enemy would just try, and it was just a constant, you know, I'd be walking around the neighborhood, and I would tell Philip, it's coming back. No, nope, it's healed. By the time we would get back home, it would be, it would be fine. And I don't know, when you were just speaking that, it was just, for me, I, I do, I just pray very, I'm a prayer all day, and I used to think, wow, Lord, why do, you, why do you have me in a prayer mode all day? And I used to think it was a burden like you were talking about, yeah. and the Lord said, it's a gift. And when I started seeing it as a gift, it was just, it was like the whole, like, just world opened up because you're like, he chose me. Like, it's special to be able to pray in the car, to be able to pray while you're washing dishes, to be able to just sitting and just constantly in a prayer mode. 
And I didn't realize that probably until about five years ago, and it was just such an amazing experience for me. That same thing happened to Brother Lawrence. If you've ever read Brother Lawrence's books, he was a dishwasher for uh, the monks. And everybody went to Brother Lawrence when they needed some help. When they needed prayer, Brother Lawrence was the guy. Because every time he washed dishes, he prayed all the time. He was a great intercessor. But they knew when he prayed for you, something would happen. Does that mean that some of you are more gifted than others? Not only just some of you have to be intercessors? Think about that. Don't think that it's all about how you feel. If you go into a room and somebody says, I feel that room is dark, then you leave. That's what I do. <laughs> I don't feel it. It doesn't feel dark to me. It feels like a room. But some people have that sense. So I, I trust God. And uh, if I trust those people, I'll do that. Yeah. an experience that I had when we were on vacation, of course, years ago, and we were in uh, Massachusetts, and we went into a hotel to get a room, and we walked into the room, and I said, Al, we're not staying here. It was such a terrible darkness. Whatever has happened in this room, I'm not sleeping here tonight. And they said, well, we don't have any other room. I said, well, then we're not staying. And he knew enough in the spirit that when I said no. <laughs> but as we started to leave, they found another room for us, just miraculously. Found out from the front desk that that was a room where they did many initiations for one of the college wow. men. And it would have been a, a disaster area. And that was confirmed to me that I sensed it in my spirit. And I couldn't explain it, but we, we certainly didn't stay there. Has anybody else had that kind of experience where you walk into a hotel room and you don't know what went on in there? Pastor Tom always tells us that when we go on mission trips especially is when we go in hotel rooms, pray for the room. And what good does that do? Remember, the Holy Spirit can hear you. It does. It changes, it changes the environment. That's right. So... We don't want to rely all the time on how we feel. We want to know that we have to pray, and we have to pray. That, that obligation, there is an obligation. I think uh, for someone who does pray, there is an obligation to pray. If somebody calls you up and, and, and makes you aware of an, a situation that you need to pray for, you're, you're, you don't have to do that. You can say, oh, I, I'll do it later. I've gotten the habit when somebody on the phone says something to me, and uh, I don't get to pray for him then, I'll pray for him as soon as I hang up. <laughs> if we don't pray for him, I'll say, if we don't pray for him right then, it's easy to forget. So when somebody, when somebody uh, says something to you that, that you have to pray for them, do that, do that, and then do it right then or right after you hang up. Okay, next slide. Benny Johnson, uh, prayer life, at this point, her prayer life really began to change. Her prayer life was not so much about asking for things anymore, but just about waiting or wanting to be with the Lord. She would worship God for one hour or more at a time. So God changed her into an intercessor. 
I've, I've talked to people who prayed for somebody they didn't even know. Somebody in India. Has anybody ever done that? Not, not just India. Anywhere in the world? You've done that? that? God lays a name on your heart or a person on your heart, and you say, God bless that person? Just, just praying at random, and it was um, all-encompassing. And as I continued to pray, I, I was at work. I came home, and I went into my room, and it was, it was hot in there. So I put the fan on thinking that, well, the fan would help. And indeed, when I, I, I put my head slightly against the wall, I could see in a vision. And I was praying for a woman in a distant land, and... Um, she had children all around her, and the ground was very dry. And I looked into her face, and I didn't understand her language, but she said, I have no food to give to my children, and my paps are dry. And so as soon as I started praying, we kind of melted into one another. And indeed, after that, the, the burden of prayer was released. But I came up in... Um, um, in churches, unlike perhaps you have, I have spoken with the bishop here. <coughs> a very powerful man, the Archbishop Vincent Idahosa, he had such a powerful prayer language. He would just walk <coughs> through the room, and wherever the Jalaisuki, the wind, like you here, do the, 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 the fans. The flags, yeah. Right, right, that, you know, it, well, we came up like that, so all of that was very, very normal. But the clothing, the blessing, he said, you are blessed. And so ever since then, I received, we're blessed. So therefore, the things that we see in prayer, the things we see, the things we feel, the things we say, indeed, it's the Holy Spirit working inside of you, breaking up that fallow right. ground. Indeed. Look uh, in the back there. Rachel. Hold it up to your mouth. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't particularly like talking in front of a bunch of people, so God's <laughs> making me do this one. Um, do I have to? We'll take yes. that away okay. from you. <laughs> um, a couple years ago, maybe three or so years ago, I think it was, on World Prayer Day, or the prayer, and we, had, we got together in a big building downtown, and there was a choir and all of that, and it was a big city meeting. Um, and we were praying a prayer that was going to be prayed sort of halfway in unison around the world or something. There, I mean, I don't know whether how, how the time zones played into that, but the, that was the general idea. Everybody in the world was going to pray, day, pray that prayer. As we were doing all of that, one of the more disturbing and yet reassuring visions I've ever had. Uh, there was a young lady in a matching headdress and probably sari all the way down, probably a wrapped dress, uh, a beautiful salmon orange, light salmon orange color. And her brothers were on her case because she was a Christian, she was praying, and she was about to get kicked out of the house for being a Christian and for not backing down and for praying to, praying to Jesus, praying in Jesus, in Jesus' name to God. She get, as I was praying, she did get hit and she did get kicked out. And as she was walking down the street, she got um, assaulted and killed while I'm praying. And then I kept praying and I saw her come back to life. And 
walk on down the street in safety. I don't know what I I I, I don't know what. Yeah, I do. I did see something like that happen. Somebody went through that, and I had the the honor of witnessing one of my sisters and what she went through, and I got to see God intervene and heal her and bring her back. Wow. It's real. That stuff happens. I read uh, somewhere about a, it was, I think, you know, the guy that uh, Tommy Hicks from Argentina Revival? Is it, how many of you have heard of him? Tommy Hicks. I think uh, I got something from uh, Nancy. Nancy Smith sent something out about Tommy Hicks. He was, let me tell you a little bit about him. He was a missionary in Argentina, Buenos Aires. Is that how you say it? <laughs> I think so. And uh, he's, God told him to go down there to be a missionary. He said, all right. So he went down to Buenos Aires, and he stayed in a hotel. He got a hotel room, and he sat on his bed, and he said, okay, now what? You ever do that? He said, God told him, go see the president. Here's an English-speaking, English-American guy. So he, he went to the second, he got to the building, he found out, asked people where it was. He, he went there, and he sat, he sat in the same office with the, uh, what do you call it, the person that screens people, uh, the, the secretary or whatever. And... Uh, she said, well, it's impossible to uh, go see the president. You don't have a, uh, you, yes, you don't, you, you don't have an appointment, security clearance or whatever. You can't go see him. So, he, so he, sits, he sits back down and he heard God say, I'll heal him if you go back there. So he told the secretary, uh, go tell him that I'll, he'll be healed if you let me in. Go see him. He had leprosy. So Tommy Hicks went back there, prayed for him, and the leprosy went away. I do not know anything about how that looks because lepers don't have any feeling. If you know about leprosy, if you, you, you see people without a nose and without hands, they stick their hands in a skillet and they won't, they won't see it, they won't feel it, and all of a sudden their hands just burn up. That's what happens. So that he was healed of leprosy. So then Tommy Hicks says, "Hey, can I have a can I have a, a meeting, a Christian meeting, downtown in the stadium? That had never been done before. And uh, here's a guy that was healed of leprosy. Already was thought well uh, by the president. He said, "Well, it's never happened before, but if you want, you got it." So he gave him the stadium, which again, was compact, and the Argentinian revival in the 50s began, began to, to happen. There are times when God comes really big. Tommy Hicks had a vision at 3 o'clock in the morning. It said, you guys will be the next big people. You know, right now, Bill Johnson, Randy Clark, they all are running big, big business. He said, but the little people. So I told uh, some of the guys I know, I said, hey, if you go up, if you go to a funeral and you lay hands on that person, that person jumps out of that casket, 
they're going to come to you for prayer. Right? But that's what's going to happen. And in time revival, and I've heard it prophesied many, many times, is that in the end time revival, the Holy Spirit is going to be revved up, and he's going to come down like, the, like he did in Toronto. He's going to come down even more than ever before in life. It's going to be one billion around the world are going to get saved. People in China, rice, rice uh, what do you call it, rice pluckers, the ones that put it in the ground, those real poor people, they're going to be the ones that pray for people. So it's going to be us. We're the ones that it's, just, it's going to be part of the great revival. And that's, Satan's not going to be very happy, but he's, he's got to do what uh, the Lord tells him to. <laughs> so that's, uh, you can count on that. I think that's going to happen. Uh, you've, uh, you've heard Pastor Tom talk about the uh, great revival that was predicted for the East Coast. It may be the end time revival. Go ahead, next slide. This is the last one I've got on uh, Denny Johnson. She began feeling and thinking about the thoughts. God gave us strategies on how to pray for an entire region. She began to see herself as an intercessor. This, this is the last slide for, for uh, Denny Johnson. But let me, let me tell you, this is a good book. You'll enjoy reading it. This one is an unbelievable book. We're going to talk about Reese Howe. If you've never heard anything about the difference between the two. So most of you guys should start with this. And then you graduate to this. <laughs> so it's going to be a, a, great, a great book for all of you. Okay, let's talk about Reese Howe. Next slide. I've already talked about that. There's Reese Howe right there. He's back. Okay, let's go, go with the picture of Reese Howe. Go back one. There he is. No, right there. <laughs> okay. Born in 1879, he seems like a long time ago, in South Wales. We'll, we'll tell you where that's at. He started to work in the tin mines. Let me tell you about a tin mine. He was 12 years old. What they used to do in the tin mines was they'd put these kids, because the, the vein was so small, put these kids in there with little picks in a bag, and they'd pick and put it in the bag. And, and because they were small, they were able to get in the tin ore. Get the tin ore out. He worked there when he was 12 years old. He was a common man, wanted to be rich, and moved to the U.S. Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> Goodness and love was part of his family. He lived a happy life, loved God, but wanted him to agree with his purpose for his life. Does that work? I don't think God does it that way. <laughs> he don't. He, let the, he doesn't want you to have what you want because you can't see the future. He can. So people that work in the tin mine, what they used to do in China, and uh, I think uh, not Heidi Baker, Roland Baker, Roland Baker's grandfather used to be in China. They would take these tin miners when they got sick and throw them over the cliff. Some of them would live. Roland Baker's grandfather would take them in. And pretty soon he had a house full of, of these little children. Isn't that something? And then uh, they had, I don't know if you've ever read Visions Beyond the Veil. 
but they, after six, six months of doing that, they had visions from morning till night, seeing heaven. In fact, they were able to pluck apples and give them to, to uh, Mr. Baker. I've read that story. It's, uh, I've got it on my shelf. It's actually on the internet. So visions beyond the veil. It's uh, these little kids. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they start doing awesome things. So this guy here was just a, this common man. He was about, I don't I think he was the eighth of 12 or something. He, he was not very uh, exciting. There wasn't anything new about him. But one thing he did do, I'll, t- I'll tell, you about, little, t- tell you about that. Next slide. We're going to talk about Reese Howe a little bit now and then a little bit later. All right, God said, Reese Howe, he quoted, God, if you'll show me someone who lived the Sermon on the Mount, I will serve you the rest of my life. He searched for the way to God for five months. So for five months, he searched for God and for somebody, and he found him in Maurice Rubin, who's a Jew. Now, I'm not going to say anything bad about Jews, because Jesus was a Jew, right? (laughs) He belonged to a wealthy family. He began to talk to someone who was happy, but had no reason to be happy. Now, this is where our countenance that we have. Ask the Lord when you pray in the morning, say, Lord, help me to be happy. So this guy would go over to uh, his house, Maurice's house, or his work area, and he was always very cheerful. Have you ever heard uh, the quadriplegic Johnny Erickson Tother? She talks at 11, 1230 every day. She's on the radio every day at 1230, so if you listen to the dub, you'll hear. She's always cheerful and happy. But I heard the rest of the story. She said, when I wake up, I can't move anything. She's a quadriplegic. She's got somebody there to help her. Her husband doesn't help her. She's got her own, she's got two women to come in. And they comb her hair, brush her teeth, put her on the pot. I mean, they do everything you'd imagine you have to do, and you can walk and do it, and she does it. And she says, I don't wake up cheerful, and I don't, I wake up like everybody else does. When I, when I get up, Jen and I don't talk much. <laughs> we don't talk much. But she says, she lays there until five or ten minutes, she says, Lord, I don't feel very happy right now. Would you make me happy? Because I know you're happy. So I have never heard her speak any other way. She's always joyful. Hello, how you doing? This is Johnny Erickson Tyler. I mean, you'd never know that uh, she's a quadriplegic. You know what a quadriplegic is? They can't move. They can't put on their seatbelt. They can't drive a car. You can, you can imagine what it takes after one year, her husband that used to do all that, her husband said, I can't take it anymore. He was going to quit. And she said, I understand. <laughs> I know why you can't take it. So anyway, she's always very joyful. Maurice felt that God was asking him to give away the money he had and the st- and the story of the rich young ruler. Have you all ever heard of the story of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus 
and he had all, he's done everything right all his life except for money. And what did Jesus tell him? Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. That's what Jesus told him. Jesus knew something right there. So Maurice Rubin, when I read about him, I could not believe. Next slide. You'll see what uh, happens in the, the next slide. His brother asked him to move to Montana, and he would give him $140,000. Instead, he became evangel an evangelist who did not accept any money. Now, isn't that something? $140,000. They thought he was crazy. Now, his wife and son left him thinking he was crazy. The doctor had him continue, had him committed to a mental institution certifying him as being insane. He went to a mental institution. Now, how did you like that? This guy was something. He was, all right, let me tell you a little bit between the line here. In the mental institution, he did not like it. He was in there with a bunch of crazies. And he was supposed to be one of them. This, is, this guy really gave his heart and life to God. And uh, finally God says, hey, I want you to be cheerful. He said, Lord, I don't like this place. I, didn't, I shouldn't even be here. And he says, be cheerful. So he changed his countenance. He just prayed a little. God gave him a, a vision and a, and a, and a thought. He was released because of a Christian judge and knew why he'd left it all, much like the Greg Chumbrill in the Bible. So a Christian judge finally says, nope, I understand what he's doing. And he was able to convince him that he was, that he was doing it for God, and he was able then to uh, be released. So he got released from the mental institution. Next slide. After three years, his wife listened to him speak. Three years. I don't know if it's maybe two years. She told, she then, she then told him to accept money like the other evangelists would be. Now, we're paid staff. He was told not to, not to accept any money. His wife said, I'll stay with you if you just accept money for your, your preaching. And he said, no, I can't do that. He, he declined, and she took the two-year-old boy. Now, they, I told Jan, I said, I got to era in this thing. She's got a two-year-old boy, and she was married for, for three years. She was gone. <laughs> so That doesn't look good. Anyway, it was two years. <laughs> she finally came to me to begin and accepted his devotion to God. His son was now five years old. So the first five years of their marriage, he didn't have a wife. He gave her up for God. Now, how many of you think that's too much? You'll see uh, it, it influenced Reese Howe, who then became an awesome, awesome intercessor. And uh, it was all because of this guy, Maurice Rubin. Go ahead, next slide. All right, there's where Wales is right down. I got, a, I got my little laser. I can point at it. It's right down right there. That's Wales. Just a little town. We're going to, the part of our, uh, Part of our deal here is that we will have a revival like the one in Wales. 
they had uh, mules down in the, in the in the mines. They had mules down there that never get, never saw the light of day, and they used to cuss at them all the time, tell them where to go. But when the revival came, they quit talking like that. <laughs> so the mules didn't understand what they were doing. <laughs> God told Reese to go back to Wales. He was in the United States, 1904, and, and the start of the Wales revival. So he was in the U.S. trying to get rich, because that's what he wanted. And God spoke to him, because after, after meeting Maurice Rubin, he realized, hey, i got to do something here. God is talk, talking to me. All right, it, he, his first job was, uh, was a tramp. Now, back in the 1904 or 1905, a tramp was somebody who was, what do you call them? What, do you, what would you call a tramp today? Homeless, vagabond, that's a good one. That's, that's what he was. So God told him, that's the one I want you to, to win to Christ. He said, goodness sakes. He would walk by the, he, after he got out of the mine, he would walk by a heater and that's where that guy would sleep. He never took a bath, never tied his shoes, always was filthy black from coal dust. And God pointed him out and said, he's the one I want you to get. So Reese spent his weekends with this guy for two years. What's unbelievable is that he, just said he did it for two years. He began to preach at a chapel uh, in Wales, and he was very successful at that chapel. Next slide. Reese Howe became an intercessor. Now, I, I relate more to Reese Howe than I do to Bennett Johnson because some of us don't have that feeling of being knocked down, shake, rattle, and roll. We've never had that. But Reese Howe had great faith. He believed what God told him. He was young in the spirit but a bit more advanced than the converts in the revival and was needed to be an intercessor and teacher and to take the burdens of the newborn babies and to pray for them. Now, we have um, on mission trips, Pastor Tom used to lead our mission trips, and I think I've been on 15 of them, 16 of them, 16 mission trips all over the world. And Pastor Tom used to lead those, and he was always one step ahead of us. So we would go to Pastor Tom when something was wrong, or we were doing something, we'd say, how do you do that? Especially when it, concerning the demonic. He seemed to have a, uh, a gift in the demonic realm, and that's why he's, he's well sought after as a prayer minister. But uh, we would go uh, with him, and he would always be one, one step ahead of us. So we'd ask him what to do, and he would, oh, yeah, I did that, and he would uh, give us the right answer. So that's what Reese Howe did. He became, uh, he became a pastor at a little, little uh, church in Wales, Next slide. Many blame the young converts for backsliding. <laughs> now listen to this. But we blamed ourselves because we were not in a position to pray them through to victory. Oh, the tragedy to be helpless in front of the enemy while he was sifting young converts like wheat. Remember that Jesus said, the devil wants to sift you like wheat. Y'all remember that? I don't know if you know anything about the Wales Revival. Has anybody studied it? 
Anybody here study the revival in Wales? It lasted about four or five years. Not very. That's right. It was an awesome revival. What what did he say? Anything else? Does anybody remember anything about the Wales revival? It wasn't very long. It didn't last long. And that, that's something that we have to, as a church, I really believe it's going to be up to us to keep the revival hot. Uh, young people, old people, everybody. They, they would sing, the men would sing in churches like this. The vibration from the song would shake the, the, the leaflets off, the songs off, off the stands. They, saw, they sang with such gusto that uh, the vibration from the men's voices would knock off the music stand. So it was an awesome revival, Wales revival, but it didn't last very long. It, was, it just happened uh, very, very quickly. And uh, we'll do one more slide, then I'll let you guys go. It's getting to be 8 o'clock. Go ahead, next slide. In Isaiah 59, we read that God saw that there was no intercessor. Many felt need to be endued with power from on high. And they had the joy before they had the power. So joy was no proof. Of in, uh, this is interesting. No proof of endowment with the Spirit. So the joy is not the only way to tell if you've got the Spirit. That's what, that's what they found out from their revival. And uh, uh, there's been... Uh, People have called the Toronto Revival the Laughing Revival. You ever heard that? Because a lot of people just start laughing. But what they found out in Wales was a little bit different. They had to do something more to, uh, to increase the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's all stand up. We're about ready to go. Eight o'clock. I'll just pray, I'll pray us out, and then we'll, nine o'clock in the morning. Oh, that's a good book, I've read that too. <laughs> God, we thank you so much for this time. I pray that everything that was said will sink in, Lord, and, and affect the way we live our lives from now until the time of the end. Bring on the revival, Lord, and help us to pray then and to do exactly what you ask us to do. And to listen for your voice as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may leave. Hmm? How are you?